0: I was talking to a, a friend the other day and we were like just making a conversation and I mentioned remember a couple of weeks ago when we were in here and we were talking about eschatology before we hit record eschatology
1: eschatas means end like the end of something okay. and ology be the study of the end so yeah, so we, yeah study of the end okay
0: so what was the thing that you mentioned where I probably misunderstood but you were talking about how basically there's a second chance like people who didn't follow Christ walk here that they got a second chance am I Remembering that wrong,
1: I don't think it was a second chance. I think I th- someone else mentioned that. Was it you? I don't think it was you. Someone else was here. I think they mentioned it. But there's a second chance for people because what I w- what I was going at, what I said was there at the end times. We have the fact that we believe that Christ comes back and he then gets to rule and reign for a thousand years. Um, and during that reign, like when he comes back, he conquers all the enemies, casts Satan into hell, right in the pit, chains him up with with the the dragon, and he's and he's conquered all his enemies. So then it's like Christians who are there who are following him faithfully. And then all of a sudden, all the saints, and then we're looking at 1,000 years later, he fights another battle because he allows Satan and the dragon out of the great pit, allows them out again to utterly defeat them. But then yet there's another battle. Satan has followers. So in that 1,000-year period, there are Christians who have offspring and whatnot. And these offspring, these kids, even though Christ is ruling and reigning, like it's his kingdom here on earth, they choose not to follow him because he has to have an army at the end. Someone said, I mean, Christ has an army of of people following him, but also the enemy, the devil, has already had his army defeated, and yet a thousand years later, he has another army. So that means people who have seen Christ, who are that he's ruling and reigning on this earth, still do not want to follow him. I heard
0: a like, I went to a retreat in college, and the guy who was talking the whole retreat, he really good speaker, he mentioned that he, he had he's had this prayer basically as long as he's been a Christian where he really wants to fight in the final battle. He's like, I don't know if that's our role. As Christians or I don't know if that's up to the angels or whatever But he's, he's had this prayer for a really long time that he really wants to fight in the final battle because in his mind He's like I know we're not gonna lose. It's a guaranteed win <laughs> Like, Can I and so all was, I do is win win win? Yeah, yeah, that like, one, it's yeah a guaranteed yeah. win so I want to be in the final battle and uh, He had this dream one and his wife would always say I don't want to fight in it But I'll cook while y'all are gone like you know like oh, that was that yeah, was her thing I'll take care of you don't worry when you get back you'll have plenty to eat and so he has this dream one night where he gets a knock on the door and he wakes up and there's, like, this army of angels in the street and they go and they go off and they fight and they come back and there's, like, this giant feast ready for them. Like, I I don't know if that's a God dream or if that was just his own imagination, but that's pretty cool when you think about it, you know? Yeah.
1: I don't know if that's actually going to happen because, hold on. Um, Let me find it in, in Revelation really quickly. So, uh... Yeah, so we have Jesus coming back. Son of God goes to war in Revelation 19. And it talks about how he is coming down. One riding is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and goes to war. His eyes are like a fiery flame and they are many diadem crowns on his head. He has a name written that no one knows except himself. Come on. He is dressed in clothing, dipped in blood, and he is called the Word of God, Lagos. The armies that are in heaven dressed in white, clean, fine linen were following him on white horses. From his mouth extends a sharp sword so that he, with it he can strike the nations. Right? and he stomps the winepresses of the furious wrath of God, the all-powerful. Now, if we go a little further, it says that, on um, verse 21, it says, the others were killed by the sword that extended from the mouth of the one who rode the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves with their flesh. But because he's saying, through these two, he says it through, the beast was seized, along with some others, um, and those who worshipped his image, both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire, burning with sulfur. Um, So basically he sees the beast along with the false prophet, threw them in the lake of sulfur, and then from the sword that extends from his mouth, he kills everyone else. So in my eschatology, Jesus is the one killing everyone. The the, the army with him does absolutely nothing. That's my eschatology. Just moral support? Just like moral support. Like there's an army there, but but it says the sword extending from his mouth kills everything, right? And I'm just like, I think Jesus just does it all. Yeah, and that's when I read that and I see. That's what it says. I'm like, that's what it has to be in my head I don't see like cool. I'll watch I'm gonna be there It's told to be like that's salvation too is we do nothing. We just say hey, I'm on your team I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I'm with you, and
2: he does everything else for us You're cleansed by his blood.
0: So what do you think about? so Okay All the weapons that they were are gonna use in the final battle are weapons that existed in the ancient world Right? They didn't have AR-15s. That's why they don't mention they're gonna use, you know They're not gonna use rifles in the final battle, but why like why would God not limit like why? Why would he limit himself to hand-to-hand combat? Um battle?
1: so part of it is John living 2,000 years ago He doesn't know everything that's going on I mean yeah. you say he has to describe things that he may never seen before gotcha And so there could be ARs it could be tanks it could be things like that But there's also probably going to be a horse of some kind um, but and, he would describe tanks as horses just because that's the closest thing. That's comparison. the closest thing. So we don't know what the inti- what it's actually gonna look like. Okay. But he's like, imagine like if we look three thousand years of the future or two thousand years of the future, like what's it gonna be like? No idea. And we have to use things modern day to describe it. And that's what he's doing two thousand years ago when we didn't have
0: modern warfare at all. Right. How cool would it be if in the final battle he had like George Patton?
1: Oh god, it just pulls out all these old generals. Like <laughs> I, I picked up my Christian men, the greats, all of them, right? It brings them with him. Like Douglas MacArthur and George Patton, <laughs> like all these great so, generals. Somebody so George Washington, which Still, I've been reading about a little bit. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, on my point there, here's what happens. Um, so it says in in Revelation twenty-six talk about the thousand years. It says, Blessed and holy is the one who takes part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Right. So we talked about earlier. He destroyed all the one who were with the beast and them. And now we have now, when a thousand years are finished, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to bring them together for a battle. So, right, he goes out again to seize people again. And he says, then again, they, they, and they are as numerous as the grain to the sand of the sea. They went up to a broad plain um, to encircle the camp of the saints in the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them completely. God does it differently every time, right? First time, sword of the mouth of Jesus. Second time, fire from heaven comes Artillery. and kills them all. Dude, uh, it could be, a, yeah, it literally could be, a, could be a nuclear bomb. Like, we don't know exactly uh, in that, but it could also be fire from heaven. But that's just the best description that John has. Yeah, And the that's devil who deceived them was thrown in the lake of the fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are too. And they will be tormented there day and night forever and ever.
0: Eschatology is weird to me just because there are no clear answers, you know? All right. like, we know, Like, we know that, but it's like there's a lot to interpret, you know? It's up, it's
1: up for a lot of interpretation. Yeah. I mean, there is clear we know that Christ is coming back. He's going to rule. He's going to reign. He's going to judge those who are not following him, and those who are opposed to him are going to die, yeah. right? And the rest of it's like, all right, what happens along the way? I'm not sure. When do saints get raptured? I'm not sure exactly. Like, we can give an answer, and here's why. Uh, but a lot of it is up for, hey, not entirely, not 100% sure.
0: Yeah. It's what well, I, uh, I was thinking the other day, I'm really excited for heaven just from a real estate perspective. I know you can appreciate From that. From a too. real
1: estate perspective, what do you mean?
0: Just think about how beautiful. Oh, how
1: gorgeous is. it is? Yes. Yeah, like, pick, like, your favorite, like, million-dollar mansions you've seen. Like, I have, a, I have a list that gets sent to me, and it's, like, $10 million-plus homes in Dallas sent to myself every day, uh-huh. uh, just so I can see what's on the market kind of for fun. Dude, there's some gorgeous homes here. And so you imagine that, like, the most beautiful, th- and, you know, um, gosh, who's the guy uh, who has the ministry about saving money all the time? Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey's, I don't know if it's sold yet, but he has his $15 million house in Tennessee near, outside of Nashville on the market. It was on the market about a month ago, I saw it. Um, yeah, I'm sure he p- owns it cash. But like gorgeous $15 million. He's made some money helping other people save money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, um, but $15 million, and it's ginormous and amazing. And then you're like, all right, when you get to heaven, it's probably going to be even bigger and better.
0: Like that's a shack.
1: That's, yeah, that's a shack. So we'll see. Yeah, it, you're right. It is going to be, because we can't even imagine it, like what's underneath what's underneath God and like the glory of, because they have to compare it to streets of gold and these crystals and all these different things and the pearls is the gates and you're like the greatest things that happen here on this earth is what they use to describe heaven because we can't think of anything we can't compare it there's no compare. the best comparisons on this earth is what he has to use to think it, to look at heaven and I'm guaranteed that doesn't even do it justice
0: yeah also also kind of fascinating to see the new Jerusalem
1: yeah new heaven new earth come out of earth and new Jerusalem yeah Whew. all good stuff Dang, what it says, yeah, um, in, verse, in chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the earth had ceased to exist, and the sea existed no more. Waters are gone. What? Taking it back to what? Creation, Garden of Eden. There probably wasn't great seas at that point before the flood. We're looking at most likely there wasn't. There might have been some water, but not huge great seas and great things like that. I mean, the idea is that there was a huge covering of water outside of the earth that protected it, um, and that during the flood, it all rained, and the oceans were formed, and all these seas were
0: formed. But I don't know. We'll see. You know how there's, like, the common critique by people who don't believe in God, and they say, oh, you know, the the Bible mimics so many myth structures from the ancient world. Yeah, Have you ever heard, that, like, that kind of argument? Keep going. Keep going. So I was listening to a podcast by The Bible Project, who Mallory actually does contract work for. Girl.
1: Oh yeah, she's in India. The
0: Maldives. She's in the Maldives. Like she's like the picture she texted us. Perfect example of how like real estate, like how beautiful things are gonna be. <laughs> like the picture she texted. Dude, us. but there's no
1: sea then this new Earth. And you it says it right there. No C. Uh, so we have to figure that out. I just want some water because I like water animals.
0: You know, right. like dolphins. Just I do kidding. Dolphins. I love sharks too. But anyway, um, he was talking about the Genesis creation story versus the creation stories from the ancient world, and yeah, and it's so fascinating that. In, for example the stories of ancient Babylon the creation story like the creator or the the all-powerful being whatever that guy was I think his name was Atum is what they called him. I'm not sure but he did not pre-exist the universe the universe existed in chaos and then the creation the all-powerful figure created order from the chaos contradict that with the Bible and the Bible is saying something completely different he's saying no at the beginning there was nothing and God created the universe, and then He created it orderly. He didn't just show up to something that was already created to make it orderly. And so it's just really fascinating that even like these, you know, these ancient myth structures, they're not even admitting that they're all-powerful being created in the universe. They're just saying that the universe already existed, and that this all-powerful being is creating order.
1: Yeah, I don't know all the ancient myths. I know there's one other one out of the you are er region, and and there, which where is where Abraham's from. Where Abraham's from, yeah. and whatnot. That really has two gods like fighting or a couple gods fighting and one's defeating. That's what becomes the earth. Yeah, I can't remember the name of that one or whatnot. We'll have to look more into it,
0: but you want to pray and get us started for the day? Absolutely. Um, God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you just this time together. Uh, thank you for clearing Andrew and I's schedules so we can just come on a podcast, so we can talk about you. Um, God, I pray for anyone listening to this, whether in Dallas or in anywhere in, in the four corners of the earth. God, I, I pray that if they do not know you, that you use this podcast to let them know you. And I, I pray that, um, that we can just be living ambassadors for christ and that the gospel can be evident in our lives and that when you do put us in situations where you want us to share the gospel with others that you equip us and that you give us those opportunities and that you make it you make yourself so glaringly obvious to the people that don't know you that they really have no choice but to follow you god because you're amazing and your presence is amazing and there's nothing on earth that could ever compare to you um i pray for the people listening that are followers of christ that they can be encouraged that we can spur them on and that hopefully they can you know maybe learn something and uh, grow in their walk with christ and I pray just for everyone listening and for everyone who's not listening. Um, you, are, you are amazing. Um, please help us to remember you in everything that we do. Thank you for your son. Thank you for paying for our sins with, with your blood. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.
2: Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place. Because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along
1: amen amen well guys welcome to shine in delight it is just me and Ro today andrew here Ro. um everyone flaked on us just kidding we're doing a special episode we just wanted it to be us two. um mallory's on vacation uh let's see our boy naviel's still in canada gets back tomorrow super pumped to have him back and we're like hey let's just go talk about what god's been teaching us and why read the bible
0: absolutely yeah so
1: where's our but we have to have an icebreaker first right Ro? what hey, on the spot what's the icebreaker for the day out of nowhere ready go Who are some teachers or professors that you really loved growing up? Oh, that one's easy, man. Actually, so funny enough, I still stay in touch with this guy. Um, Jason DeWitt was my high school AP biology professor. And like his exams in class were harder than the AP exam. Like Mm -hmm. I literally got a five on the AP exam, but I got a B in his class Mm -hmm. because, well, I didn't do a project there because my senior year, you know how that goes. (laughs) Um, But he impacted me, made me fall more in love with sciences. um, And that's why I got a degree in biology in college, actually. And still in touch with him, he became a uh, pilot afterwards because there's so much over, I would say, they were kind of gearing things the wrong way and so much testing and stuff he couldn't teach the way he wanted to. So mm-hmm. he's actually uh, a commercial airlines pilot right now. And uh, I know we're putting his house on the market because I work in real estate in less than a month there in Albuquerque. So super pumped for that.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So
1: that's that's probably the most one of the most influential. The other would be my third grade teacher, Mrs. Hargis. I always stayed in touch with her and her boys for some reason. She had a boy who was a year
0: younger than me I you know, hung out with. And uh, I don't know, she's just super impactful. My first professor there. What about you? Uh, Miss Gibson, fifth grade science. Her husband actually brought me on. They were doing a, um, he's a part of a, a men a, I don't know what it's called. Anyway, it's a, a group for Christian business owners, and they actually invited me to speak. And it was. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And it was, you know, she's, he was the husband. Wait, of you spoke th- in fifth grade? Yeah, yeah, no. One else, no. Like this I want to see this sermon. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, she Miss Gibson was really great. Um, coach Case, he was my freshman year biology teacher and also the JV basketball coach. Come on. And since I spent three years on JV, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> you know, we're really close. Yeah. And then Miss um, Ladd, who taught me two years of high school English. She was all. She everyone's got the wise English teacher. I had a Mrs. Ladd who taught me my junior year. Actually, are you serious? Yeah, yeah she's the best. Um, her full name was actually Ladd because it's a Cajun name, but we, uh, gotcha. we all called her Miss Ladd. No, it was Maria Ladd it was mine. But, uh, yeah, she was the best. And then I, you know, I had great professors in college. Dr. Rupert, who taught me like six classes in college, just because the <laughs> business department at Hendricks was so small, he ended up teaching me like six Everything times. you know, yeah, yeah. And he was, so he was the best. Um, but, yeah, I had
1: I great don't teachers. I think I had anyone that impactful on me in college, to be honest. <laughs> just being honest. Sorry, guys. I'm hoping to get one here in my uh, master's program, I have an impactful professor. We shall see. I got where, some. I right, got some time. Where do you do
0: your master's program?
1: Uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, DTS. Okay. Just wanted to, just wanted to
0: throw that out there. Bit. Make sure, yeah, yeah. AP Biology, CrossFit
1: athlete, seminarian. Seminarian. We're moving forward. Um, Sorry, ladies. He's married. I right, I am married shout out to Babani where you at? We engaged we got engaged a year ago now. Oh, how about that? I know. It was a year ago yesterday and I uh, saw it pop on my Facebook. Thank you, Facebook, for reminding me of that. It was mm-hmm. a good time. Great proposal there. She said yes. So it worked out. Actually built an altar or a pergola that you could like hang flowers on and whatnot out oh, of nice. redwood. I had my buddies help me shout out to that one because I started it. worked out okay. I was simplifying it. Like, let's make it bigger and better. I'm like, all right, I don't have time for that. So they built it for me <laughs> and uh had another friend decorate the whole backyard for me with flowers and roses. I bought like a dozen roses and um as well as that she put petals everywhere, sunflowers. We had candles floating in a little fountain. Like it was, it was on point. Can't um, lanterns hanging in to above. I would spent a lot of money on this. That's legit. <laughs> yeah, because everything was closed down for COVID. I was gonna propose on top of the mountain in Albuquerque, and it was closed. Um, well, the tram was, and I wasn't about to drive. 30 miles around the back on a windy road and be sick by the time it gets to the top. Mm-hmm. That would not have been fun. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> right? <laughs> the, Will you marry me? Uh, throw it up <laughs> real quick. My bad. My bad. Yeah. But hey, we're here to talk about, uh, should, we start with, should we start with like
0: why are we read the Bible or what have we have been learning to first? Yeah. The Bible is God's word. And a lot of people that love, for example, investing, they always, you know, if, if Warren Buffett put out an autobiography or if he put out a book about his his trading habits, people that love investing, they would flock to go buy that book. People that love engineering would probably flock to go buy Elon Musk's autobiography. The people you look up to, they shape your habits if you really want to be like them. And so the fact that we are following Christ, um, he gave us a book, you know, you kind of take a step back and you think about that. God gave us a book. We don't, we don't have to go to to the top of a mountain and meet a philosopher to understand the meaning of life because he gave us a book and you can buy them for like less than $11 at any bookstore or on Amazon and you can just get it anywhere. And it's really amazing that God makes himself so accessible to us that he wrote a freaking book and we get to read it whenever we want. And so it's really a, you're, you're kind of, it's a waste. If, if you don't take advantage of that opportunity, I'm reading through Exodus right now and there's all these laws about what you have to do to get in the presence of God. And they didn't have the word of God. They didn't have a book that they could read at any time. They kind of had to wait to hear from God through Moses. And it's like, can you imagine going in a time machine and explaining to them that we have God's word in they're like, you have the entire written word? We're like, yeah. They're like, what? It's like, you don't read it all the time? It's like, no, you know. I, I,
2: like, other I, like, I like to watch Netflix. I'm busy. I'm busy. I got
0: stuff going on. <laughs> they would be so ticked. And so that's a long way of saying we read the word of God. We read the Bible because it's the word of God. And if you're following God, the best thing to do to learn more about him is to read what he has already said.
1: Yeah. And even if you're not following God, it's a good time to be like, hey, what is this? What's Christianity about? Uh, I would recommend starting the New Testament there in John or Luke, Um, one of the Gospels. There's four Gospel accounts in the New Testament, and it's just the account of Jesus' life, and that's who we follow. We want to imitate and become more like Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Um, and so, when you're looking at the Bible, you're like you have divided Old Testament, New Testament, 66 books um, written over about 4,000 years. I think it is. No, maybe not, mm-hmm. may not 4,000. 2,000 years it is. By 40 authors. Authors. About 2,000 years by 40 different authors. Um, but they were all inspired by the Holy Spirit through God. So God wrote through individuals. So they have a little bit of personality on there, but it's God directing them, which is super duper cool. Uh, and we believe that it is inerrant. Um, meaning that is without error. God has kept it how he wants it to be um, throughout history. And that I mean, nothing in there. You can say, oh, what about this? This this like contradicts the other one. And we say, oh, let's talk about these contra- these so-called contradictions. Um, and even when we look at there's certain things that not, you can take it back to the oldest manuscripts, really cool. And they still match up with today, like what the word of God says. Um, and so it's, it's really, really sweet. So I read it, man, get to know God more, exactly, to see what he asks us to do, how to live our lives and who we're following. Uh, and we look at religions in general, I'm like, we look at Christianity, we look at, you know, Islam, we look at Mormonism, we look at, Israel. who are you following? Like, who's actually, who, who started this religion? What do they do? How do they live their life? Tell me about that. And don't tell me the glorified version, read the exact text. And I'm like, if we look at the word of, every other religion is like, oh yeah, Jesus was at least a prophet. That's what they say, at the minimum, he was a prophet. Christians believe he was God. And you live his life, you're like, man, sacrifice for others, love people around him well, taught, taught God's word, and didn't pick up a sword. Was like, hey, I'm not about this. This is not how I'm gonna take over kingdom. Uh, and so, yeah,
0: the word of God is living and active. And I love reading it every day. Tim Keller had a great quote one day where he, someone came up to him and said, if you give me a watertight argument for God's existence, then I will believe in God. And Tim Keller said, well, I suggest you read through the New Testament because maybe I can't give you a watertight argument, but I can show you a watertight person.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because they're right. There's so many different ways to get out. Well, I wasn't there. I can't believe you. Or you weren't there. How do you know for sure? And that's, yeah, you're like, I wasn't there. But we can look at history. There's so many different ways. And look what he's done in my life. That's the biggest thing. Look what he's done in my life, and how I flipped the script, or right? I've changed things because of him.
0: Can I give you an unpopular opinion? Uh, a hot take? Uh, well, hot take? A hot, take, yeah, hot, take hot take? Yeah, give me a hot take. Give me a hot take. So I think that most of the time, when, oh, most of the time when people ask finicky questions, like why would why would a loving God do this random thing from the book of Numbers, or they'll you know they'll take something out of context, or they'll kind of ask these really technical questions to try and maybe contradict the word of god and maybe disprove that he doesn't exist and i personally think that those types of arguments are futile but that's just my opinion and i think that most of the time when people make those arguments deep down they actually do believe that jesus is lord they just don't want to admit it and so the, re- the reason i think that is because I w- i've been studying acts chapter 9 which is this, the story of paul's conversion pablo see sí. <laughs> so th- so the background of paul is he was originally named saul of tarsus he makes a career. He was a Pharisee, which is the group of people that did not like Jesus very much. Yeah. You could say that they, didn't <laughs> they had see a, eye to eye. they had a lot to lose. They yeah. did not see eye to eye on everything. I think that's that's a safe assumption. But they didn't like Jesus very much. They had him crucified, and so Paul was part of this group of people that didn't like Jesus. And then he spent his entire career killing Christians a couple dozen at a time, and that's how he made his money. That's how he made his status, and he was very high up in the chain of command. He was a Pharisee. He was a very—I'm assuming he was a wealthy guy. People knew him, and then one day on the road to Damascus, with the mission of killing more Christians, he comes face-to-face with the resurrected Lord in this massive, dramatic flash of light. He meets Jesus, physically meets Jesus, and then he says, Saul, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then Saul says, who are you, Lord? He says, who are you, Lord? Which is a weird statement, because if I see you walking down the street, I'm not going to say, who are you, Andrew? That would make no sense because I know who you are.
1: You, you'd probably say, who are you, Lord, to me, actually,
0: you know, because <laughs> I'm glowing. Just yeah, kidding, yeah. Yeah, let's, I don't know about that. But, <laughs> but I, I mean, if I, wa- if I saw you walking down the street, I wouldn't ask who you are because I know who you are. Yeah. And so the fact that Paul says, who are you, Lord, that leads me to believe that deep down Paul actually knew that Jesus was the real deal, but he didn't want to admit it because in order to admit that Jesus was the real deal, he would have to admit that Paul was doing it wrong his entire life, or Paul would have to admit that he got it wrong his entire life. And he would have to admit that, He is no longer Lord of his own life and that he has to surrender to God's will. And that's a big thing to admit. I don't think that Paul wanted to admit that, which is why he ran so hard in opposition to Christ. But that all changed when he actually met Christ. And so that's my argument for that is I think that a lot of times people, they don't actually, they know that they deep down, they know that Jesus is a real deal, but they don't want to admit it because that means that they would have to give up control of their own life. And that's not something that we want to do. Mm. Yeah, I think he knew about
1: Jesus, but he never had, a, he never had an encounter with Jesus before that point, right? Yeah. We don't have any records that he actually met Jesus at all when Jesus yeah. was alive. There was some overlap there. So he knew about the guy. He's persecuting Christians. He's like, ah, I've learned what they believe because he's a smart, intelligent individual. And then he until he had an encounter with Jesus, nothing changed. So once he did, his whole life changed where he was on the up and up trajectory to probably become the high priest. Like who started studying, uh, studying underneath was the high priest. He's a smart guy. I didn't like, know that. Yeah. He, interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. So he's... I mean, the guy later became the high So it's really cool. Like, he was up, up trajectory. Why would a man who has everything, power, wealth, intelligence, what we want, he, he's going to the right persecuting the church, all of a sudden flip-flops and says, man, actually, I'm all in for Christ, and I'm going to give up all my power, position, influence, and I'm going to make Christ known. It makes no sense. Unless you recognize you've met Jesus, had an encounter with him, and you're like, oh, this is what life has meant. This is what life is living
0: for. By the way, the Paul story plays out today very frequently. People don't have necessarily have visual encounters with Jesus that much, if ever. However, you go to you know anyone that's following Christ, they will tell you who they were before they met Jesus. They'll tell you how they met Jesus, what happened when they met Jesus, and then they'll tell you what God has done in their life since they've met Jesus. And it's a very similar trajectory to Paul. And we see that a lot in Dallas in the ministry that we work at, where you have a lot of people who are young, successful, just flying up the chain of command at their company, and then they get to a point where they realize that there's got to be more to life than this. And then that's when we say, hey. Have you, ever, have you ever met Christ? Do you know Jesus? Scale of one to ten, what are the chances you go to heaven? You know, bridge, we do the bridge thing. You know, what, how, would you, how would you earn your way into heaven? What would God say if you died right now and, you, and he asked you why should you get in heaven? We ask them all these questions, and then we end, up, we end up sharing the gospel with them and letting them know that we're saved by faith, not by works. And there's this, this amazing thing that happens when people finally understand that and they finally internalize, and they finally get that we're saved through faith and that they make that decision to follow Christ and everything changes for them. Yeah, and that's why I read the Bible. <laughs> I mean, everything changed,
1: but it wasn't until like, it's probably my, f- my fifth, fifth or sixth year reading the Bible every single day. And it's not, it's not a legalistic thing where like, I have to read it, it's where I want to read it. And there are some days where it's become a habit where I just show up, and I'm like, oh, we're gonna get into the Word, no matter what. Yeah. Um, but it was my roommate at the time, and we had just, and I'd been on and off for a long time, read it for a month, miss a couple of days, whatever it is. And my roommate was like, hey, we should read the Bible together. And I was like, okay, we should read it like every day. At Starbucks she's like okay so we got five days a week Monday through Friday take off on the weekends because you got to sleep in some point point. Mm-hmm. and we wait we pour water on each other's head we would like not even kidding we throw we had a boom speaker throw the speaker in the other room like just whatever it was to That's wake the other so person aggressive. up dude we're, we were so aggressive but it was fun got us up we were at Starbucks at like 6 six thirty every morning reading the word for an hour and everybody was, was like I'll read the New Testament this year I was in I went Matthew Mark Luke John straight through it. and I'm like Matthew 22 and I'm like this is so boring, like, what am I reading? And that's what I thought, you know, at some point. Uh, you know, I'm like, it's hard to sit there every single day. What am I getting out of this? But just to fall more in love with it after I read the New Testament that year. Uh, and then I read a two-year Bible plan, um, which was great going through the Bible. Actually, not two years. It was like two or three years. And it went through the New Testament six times, Old Testament twice, the Psalms three times. That was really sweet through the village church. Uh, and then after that was reading it, reading it again. Read all the, all the Bible last year. And this year on another, a two-year plan with my wife. Maybe this year, next year. And just every single time, it's like, it doesn't get old that something new is coming out of it and, I just, and I'm getting to know the person who loves me most more. And that's, that's why I'm reading the Bible every day. It is, uh, my life verse is Psalm 27, four. But one thing I've asked that I will seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty to inquire within his presence. Like God, one thing, I wanna know you more. I don't want the wisdom. I don't want the money. I don't want these things. I don't wanna be at this. I want to be with you every single day I want to watch what happens because of that. Because he's be give me so much and he's so in love with me. I'm like, man, I just want to know you. And there have been some days where, like, the night before, I'm like, I literally can't wait to get up tomorrow morning. That doesn't happen very often where I'm like, dude, quiet times would be dope tomorrow, hmm. but it does every once in a while.
0: When I did a Bible study in college, we would go through one chapter a day. Yeah. So, and we'd take off on the weekends because we would be playing. So I would say, all right, by next week we come back, you should have read. John chapter one, two, three, four, and five. That's we're all gonna talk about John chapter one, two, three, four, and five. And so we get back the next week. This happened like every week. It was kind of it was funny a little bit, but it was pretty obvious the guys who didn't read, because I would I would cold call them like they do in, in class. I'd be like, hey, so Bill, what was John three say? I'd be like, well, not that I'd be like, i would just pick him out, I'd be like, hey Jacob, would uh, would you, what stuck out to you this week? And the funny thing is is he would flip to it he'd say, yeah, you know, the first verse in John, it's like, John 1-1 really stuck out to me. And it's like, yeah, that's great, but it's pretty obvious that you just opened your Bible just now, and the first verse you saw was John 1-1.
1: Beginning was the Word, and the <laughs> Word was with God. Okay,
0: <laughs> cool. Like, yeah, that was such a good verse. I, I was like, all right, that's great. It's great that it stuck out to you, but it, just, it always cracked me up because it was. It became pretty obvious when the guys wouldn't read. They would just pick the first verse they saw and say, oh, yeah, that really stuck out to me.
1: Yeah. So I read the Bible to get to know God and get to know Christ every single day a little bit more. And I was talking about Abraham, you kind of give an example, Old Testament. Abraham, like chosen one of God, right? We know about Father, Father, Abraham, and many Mm -hmm. sons. God visited him, I think it is, 11 times in 99 years. Basically, it's either that or it's nine times, nine or 11 times. So either nine or every 11 years, basically on average, he visited him. You're like, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as faith, right? Because he believed God he visited him once a decade, more or less. And here we are, we're like, we have the Bible every single day that God wants to talk to us through. So if you've never read the Bible, give it a try, but don't try, oh, just one day, this is kind of boring. Go for a month, pick up a plan, read through John, read through Luke, watch what happens, right?
0: You know, what's crazy about Abraham is I was studying name changes in the Bible. So Levi to Matthew, Saul to Paul, I don't know about Levi to Matthew. You don't think Levi is Matthew?
1: Well, because you have the, the Greek and the Hebrew name. Yeah. That's the difference. But it's the same name. But they use them interchangeably in the, in the Gospels. So, it's, so the, it's the Greek and Hebrew name. Versus,
0: so I don't know. We'll have to get back to that conversation in a minute. You, so the, the reason I'm convinced that Levi to Matthew is, is that uh, the reason I'm convinced that Matthew and Levi are the same guy is because Luke and Matthew both tell the story of the tax collector that was sitting in the booth and Jesus said, Come and follow me. And the guy did. They both tell that story. In Luke's gospel, he uses the name Levi. In Matthew's gospel, he uses the name Matthew. There's, they use it one more time. I that another, another gospel uses it as well. I forget. I think it's Mark.
1: He does uh, tells possibly. It as well. Uses Levi.
0: Possibly. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, agree to disagree. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you probably know. Oh, no, I haven't. You know, you know more I We had a sermon
1: yet. on it last weekend. or it was last weekend or two weeks ago. It was last week and before. I
0: was trying to figure out. I was like, I, they talked about the name change, but I'm just not sure yet. I need to research it more. But anyway, so here. I was thinking about name changes and then also Abram to Abraham. And uh, it's really not a significant. It's just one extra syllable, Abram to Abraham. It doesn't seem like that big of a yeah. name change, but Abraham means father of many nations. And so God changes Abraham's, Abram's name to Abraham when Abram didn't have any children. And so this ninety-year-old guy with no kids is walking around town calling himself the father of many nations. Dude, talk about the I would love this. Be do have.
1: You have to be before you do. You can have. Yeah. Right. He was being the chosen one of God who says, I'm a father of many nations. That's what God said. Hey, you have to be that person before you're going to do anything and before you're going to have that. He didn't get to see the have part. He got to do, he got to have two kids, mm-hmm. right? You know, I mean, more than that afterwards. But because he had, after Sarai, he had some more wives. Um, beyond that, you're like, he didn't he didn't need to see the promise at all. The promise came later. Yeah. Man, that's so, so cool. So what is, uh, what's God been teaching you recently in your time in the Word? Like, let's give it details, the deets, get
0: down low because people are like, all right, you read the Bible, that's cool, but like, why? Yeah, so I'm reading through Exodus right now just because it's fascinating, and I'm actually in the part where God's laying out the law. And side note, it's interesting because the law that God lays out in, in Exodus and all, basically all through the, the five books of Moses is similar to the law that we still have in Louisiana that also came from the Roman Empire and went through France. It's called the civil law. It's the same type of thing that that is listed in the Old Testament, which I just think is so cool just as a law student. The, uh, out the same in, influence that God has had on societies throughout history. Yeah. You had Hammurabi's code. You had the Hebrew law. You had Roman law. You had French law, Spanish law, all of that. It's all coming from like this same type of, it's just so cool. Um, but that's a side note. And I think that if I were to say, what is God teaching me through Exodus right now? He's teaching me that talk is cheap because there are a lot of times where God is speaking through Moses to the elders of Israel. And he's saying he's, he's making a covenant with the, with the nation of Israel. And they're emphatically saying, yes, we want to follow God 100%. He's the guy that brought us out of Egypt. He's our provider. He's Jehovah Jireh. We are going to follow God. And then like five minutes later, they're building a golden calf, right? Or they're, you read through the entire Old Testament, it's a story of rebellion after rebellion after rebellion of this people that unemphatically—am I using that right? Is it unemphatically or emphatically? Emphatically what? Like, just, let's just say enthusiastically. They were enthusiastically saying, we want to follow God. Nothing else matters. We're gonna follow God and yet there's rebelling after rebelling after rebelling And so I think a lot of times it's really easy to 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 say that we're doing all the right things mm-hmm. to say I'm following God and I'm doing what God wants me to do Yet really on the side. I'm really doing what I want to do. And I'm kind of I'm I'm, I'm not yeah broken show up Tuesday night serve people who can show
1: up here fill, Record a podcast, you know do a few other things out in public But then what's he doing with the rest of his week within the rest
0: of his life? There have been several times where I've recorded a podcast in this studio, talked about how great Jesus is, and then cursed someone out on the way home because they're driving slow in the left lane.
2: That has happened several times. The
0: truth times. comes out. That has happened road rage. several times. I have very bad road rage, and I'm working on it. But that has happened several times because talk is cheap. And I can sit in this chair, and I can talk about how amazing God is, but turning around and actually living for Christ and making the decisions actively on a daily basis that Jesus would want me to make. That's a different thing, and that's more difficult than just talking. Mm. So it's a, a faith backed up by actions. Yes. It's, it's, it's your life. Yeah. It's, is the gospel evident through the way that I live my life? It's, yeah,
1: that's really good. Uh, yeah, I can see that in Exodus a lot because you're right. The people of Israel and ourselves, we're very prone to that because, again, it's hard. But we, we see the word of God and you're like, you can read it, but then it's like, but I don't see God. He's not with me. What's going on there? We have the entire word. Exodus had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Of Yahweh's presence in their camp all the time, leading and guiding them. I mean, if that's not a lot, and they heard his voice in the mountain, like how freaking the mountain where he gave the law you're talking about, and they built a golden calf. Like they're literally seeing fire and it covered in a dark cloud, and you're like, holy crap, this is scary. And then they're like, ah, oh, dude, you know that's not real. Let's go build a calf real quick. Yeah, and that's it. Oh, that Bible stuff's not real. Let's go do whatever we want to do real quick.
0: Yeah, mm. and also I was I was thinking about a couple weeks ago because we were gonna do an episode on success versus failure, or we did do an episode on success. It's going to be so, dropping soon, I believe or maybe yeah. it already dropped. Um, yeah, I don't know what the schedule is when our episodes drop, but we did an episode on success and failure, and I didn't bring it up in the episode because I don't think it worked into our conversation well, but I was reading or I was really listening about Jesus' trial. Jesus' trials are really fascinating to me, because, especially the one in front of Pontius Pilate, because you have a crowd of people demanding his head on a platter. They are screaming, crucify him, crucify him, to Pilate. Pilate didn't want to crucify him, but he's got this angry mob of people demanding that he crucify him. And so he eventually caved to the mob. But that mob is mostly made up, or at least in part made up, of the same people who six days earlier were praising Jesus as he was coming into town, screaming, "Hosha which means salvation is here, salvation is here, putting palms on the ground. So the day that we celebrate as Palm Sunday, six days before Jesus was on trial, the same group of people is saying salvation is here, salvation is here, and then they turn on him six days later.
1: Right. Yeah, they, uh, they get swayed with a different direction. And they also think the Messiah is going to do something a little bit different. They're like, hey, this Messiah is going to be a great military leader. He's going to free us from Roman oppression. Exactly. And Jesus didn't do that. He, he doesn't do things like we want him to. Like, oh, do it in this way. And he never does things the same way either.
0: Exactly. And, and it's frustrating to us. That took the words right out of my mouth. Because when they see Jesus coming into town on a donkey, they're thinking of David, who left town on a donkey. And they're thinking, okay, this guy's going to come in. He's going to be the new King David. He's going to liberate us from the Romans just like Moses liberated us from the Egyptians. He's coming in on Passover, and so they're thinking of King David. They're thinking of the exodus from Egypt. They're thinking that Jesus is kind of going to come in and be a political savior. And then six days later, he's in Roman custody, standing trial, about to be executed, and it becomes pretty obvious to the people that he's not about to be a political savior. And so they turn on him. And I think the message from that is it's very easy to turn on God when he doesn't do the things that we expected him to do, even though he never promised to do those things. And so if we expect God to make us a millionaire because we're following Christ and he doesn't do it, it's very easy to turn on God, even though he never promised that he would make us a millionaire. Oh, sorry.
1: Millionaire. Sorry. No, you're 100% right. We have these expectations and we put them on God and it's like, whoa. God is way outside of our box. Yeah, yeah. Something I've been learning, kind of in that in that similar idea, talking about money and success and yada yada, all that good stuff. This is really what God's been teaching me. It's been really, it's been a fun season, a very challenging season for me. Um, Moving out to Dallas, and I got my license, real estate license here, basically March. And started selling homes after the semester got out, part time, get to know people, and it's been a very slow start to me for me because I don't know that many people in Dallas right now. And real estate, it's all about who you know, mm-hmm. and I don't know very many people, so working on getting to know that people. Um, but Albuquerque last year was basically like things were great. year before that things were great. Been working hard out there. People call me. Things are just rolling and flowing. And I chose to leave. This would have been my most best year ever in Albuquerque had I have stayed. But I came out here to follow God and to go to seminary. And so now I'm looking back at like oh man, gosh, we just move back to Albuquerque. Cause it's a lot easier. And I, and I've seen myself as I'm looking at Exodus too, is like, I feel like the Egyptians a little bit, not the Egyptians, the Israelites, but they're looking back to Egypt and be like, God, that was so good back there. Can we go, can we go back there? That's, that's really beautiful back there. It's great. Why would we, and they're, they're rebelling against God and it grieves his heart. So what I've seen myself been doing is getting a little frustrated, like, God, I just want more success. And uh, you know, I'm doing okay. God's taking care. God provides like, I'm not, and want, But I was like, God, I want to have the best year ever. I want to keep growing. It's got, I want to keep an exponential growth chart. And then like, that's not going to happen, Andrew. So it's been really frustrating for me the past couple of weeks. Um, but it's God just teaching me his sovereignty sovereignty, and also reliance on him. And so as I'm looking through, I've been reading Exodus and the Psalms. And there were Psalms um, 107 this week. And it kind of talks about, well, it doesn't kind of. It does talk about like fishermen and people being on the sea. And it talks about a great storm. And it's like they when it happened, the sailor's strength left them because the danger was so great. They swayed and staggered like a drunk and all their skill proved ineffective. 107, 26, and 27, right? These are skilled individuals, mm-hmm. on the, but the sea is a beast that no one can tame, mm-hmm. right? And they're out there just getting tossed back and forth. And they're like, they staggered like a drunkard. And I saw myself as like, man, the life is like, we don't have control of it, right? We're on a great sea called life. Yeah, sometimes like, oh, beautiful days. The sun is shining. This is great. These crystal clear waters. And other times it's, this thing is going up and down. And what am I going to do? And it's, they're, what are they doing? They start crying out to God. That's ne- the next verse. And he says, he calmed the storms and the waves grew silent and he led them to the harbor they desired in verse 30. And I'm like, all right, what am I doing right now? I'm crying out to God and saying, God, you, if you want to make me successful, you're going to make me successful but help me to impact and love people well. And so really God's teaching me a lot of reliance on him right now and trusting him in that. So remember I Psalm him 23, um, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. But near the end, end of verse five says, um, my cup is completely full. And it's making me think about the analogy of the, oh, is your cup half full or half empty? And it says right there, it says, and, and David says, my cup is completely full. So as, as, as a Christian, as a follower of God, I'm looking at him and saying, man, when the Lord is my shepherd, my cup is completely full no matter what's going on in my life because I have the hope of eternal life with him.
0: One thing that you reminded me of just now when you were talking about going from Albuquerque to Dallas because you felt called to come to Dallas and, and do seminary here, and you also talked about that psalm of, fishermen on choppy waters. It made me think of Jonah and how God called him to go to Nineveh, which Mm. was the most hostile city to ancient Israel. It would be similar to God calling us to go to Pyongyang, which is the capital of North Korea, where it's capital offense to spread the gospel. If God called me to go to North Korea to be a missionary, I probably wouldn't be thrilled about it. That's that's how I can relate to Jonah. (laughs) I'm out. Yeah. But so Jonah, God's calling him to go to Nineveh. And so what does he do? He gets on a boat and he goes in the 1,200 miles in the opposite direction. I think modern-day Spain, like southern Spain, is where he's going. And so he goes in the opposite direction. He goes west when he should be going east. And what happens when he's on his way there? Um,
1: a great storm, crazy storm, actually. Sailors are crying out to their gods. They're worried about things, and he just basically is Jonah's asleep in the bottom. And they're like, why aren't you crying out to your god? He's like, it's actually
0: my fault. Yeah. And they want to toss him over. I heard a pastor one time tell that story, and he said, if you think that your rebellion against God only affects you, talk to the other people on that boat. Ooh, yeah. that's good. Ah, wow. Yeah, and then so Jonah gets tossed
1: in the sea, and a, a great whale comes and swallows him for three days, or a great fish. Actually, funny enough, recent story, I think it was a scuba diver. A got, lobster diver. A lobster diver got eaten by a whale inside the belly. He got out, like, basically, but the whale swallowed him, and then he got out. It was
0: a humpback whale, I think it was. I don't know. I don't know if I believe that.
1: That's what I heard. That's what I'm hearing. I think it's true. I'm going to find no, the No, no, the sonic. story is
0: definitely true. You're right. That definitely got reported. I just don't know, if because... I read into that story and the source on that was his sister talked to some guy who kind of saw it kind of saw it happen.
1: Oh gosh, gotcha. yeah, we need some video of this. You're right. Okay, I was so we like, were in the New York
0: Post I'm You're sh- better than this. I'm sharing
1: some facts that may not be 100% true. I need to verify these fact- fact-checked.
0: But the dude, he was, the picture that went viral was him in the hospital bed giving the thumbs up. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, oh, gotcha. dude, you don't have a scratch on you. I, either way, well, either way, we're looking back. Jonah got swallowed by
1: it. I just thought that was kind of funny that yeah. hey, this happened this week in in, in the news. Maybe not, maybe true, maybe not true. Maybe just trying to be like Jonah.
0: Sorry, I, I derailed the. Analogy. Yeah, no, no, you're, no, you're
1: that. good. But then you take Jonah. Okay, then Jonah's forced by God to go to Nineveh, and he doesn't even really proclaim. He just basically says, "Repent." You know, God's judgment's near. I forget exactly what he says.
0: Is he the sackcloth sackcloth and ashes routine or no?
1: He didn't uh, I think I don't know if he was doing that, but I know that's what the king of Nineveh ended up doing Like so for you those who are Christians who are listening to this go read the story of Jonah If you're scared of if you're uh, scared of sharing the gospel see what see what he says, right? Because he is not like man the, the God of Israel Yahweh like he loves you He wants you to repent turn from your sins turn to him and he's just like you're gonna be judged and he says it very simple, very dumbified, basically. And all of a sudden, the king of Nineveh is like, yeah, and puts sackcloth and ash and requires everyone in Nineveh, animals included, to wear sackcloth and ash and the entire population, I think it was like 120,000 people of men or bigger, repent and God spares them. And Jonah's has pissed about it.
0: One of the biggest revivals in history happened in Nineveh because of Jonah. Or it's because of God, but he used Jonah. Isn't that, yeah. Isn't that so cool?
1: He chose to use a man who didn't want to be faithful. Exactly. God can do crazy things, but yeah, no, man, God is so good. Anything, I think, I think we've kind of crushed this today. Anything else you want to leave the viewers with before we hang up here?
0: Yeah, so in my community group last night, one of my new friends who actually just joined our community group was talking about how he wanted to be bold. Yeah, (laughs) well, you're married. It's a, it's a single guy. We can't, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I got you. Okay, you can't let me back in. He's, we're talking about him and we asked, what can we pray for you this week? And he said, I want to be more bold in my faith and I want to be more bold in sharing the gospel with my coworkers. He's a waiter. I want to be more bold in sharing the gospel and get opportunities to share the gospel with people that I wait on. And he's talking about, I want to be like David, who was brave enough to just walk up and fight Goliath. And I said, okay, that's really great. I love that you brought up David. Trivia question, this for you too. How many stones did David bring with him into the valley floor when he fought Goliath?
1: Ladies and gentlemen, five.
0: Five stones. He was an expert marksman. He knew that he was going to hit him on the first shot. He takes five stones with him
1: so he could take down the other giants.
0: He takes five stones. He overprepared. And so my advice to, to the, my new friend was, hey, if you want to be more bold and you want to work on boldness and sharing the gospel, overprepare. If you're usually reading one chapter a night, maybe try and read one and a half or two chapters and just, just radically go after God and, and radically pursue godly wisdom so that way you can be prepared when those conversations present themselves and you don't have to be anxious.
1: Well, more than the stones, he had been preparing himself by practicing this sling for exactly. years and years and years exactly. Exactly. and that, but more so it's the fact that he showed up and God used the talents that he already had because God had prepared him before that. So God's been preparing you for a while. You have talents, gifts, and abilities that God's been working in you and building up. And now he just says, you have to show up. And so David was a few men in Israel who said, I'm going to show up and use what God's given me, what I've already been equipped with, and I'm going to use it. So you'd be
0: surprised when we're talking about boldness, God's giving you a specific talent that you can use to be bold with. And Malcolm Gladwell actually did a really good study on David and Goliath, and it really changed the way I thought about that story because when we grew up and we're taught that story— It's, it's on YouTube. Yeah, but we, we grow up and we're taught that story. I'm going to rip it off. We think that David is the underdog because he's much smaller and David and Goliath is much bigger. That's really not the case because Goliath, yeah, he's much bigger, but he's, he's heavy infantry, so he's trained to fight hand-to-hand. David, even though he's much smaller, he's an expert marksman, and so he's not going to fight Goliath hand-to-hand. He's going to do what God has prepared him to do. And he's going to do what he's good at and play to his own strengths by Goliath at a distance. And so he, 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 I think the lesson of David and Goliath is not that if you're following God, you're going to, you're going to slay the giant and you're always going to beat the, the favorite. The lesson of David and Goliath is God always equips you for the battles that he calls you to do. And that it doesn't matter how daunting the task may be, he has equipped you for that battle. And you can handle the things that God has given you if you rely on God. Mm. He calls us to show up. Absolutely. And no matter what, the thing is about. and yes, he was,
1: it is, uh, he's a slinger. He's an artillery unit in that sense, yeah. but he's also a 15-year-old boy Yeah. versus, I don't know how old Goliath was, but a little bit older than that and highly trained. David has no formal training. So it's the idea of us showing up into politics because God's called you there and you have no training. It's the idea of you becoming a mom or a dad and you have no training. It's the idea of showing up in a, a workplace and sharing the gospel when you have no formal training. God calls us out of our comfort zones into something else. And he says, I just need you to show up and I'm going to equip you along the way.
0: Absolutely. Mm. And the rocks that he used, well, sorry, one more fun. I love the story, but the rocks that he used were barium sulfate, so they're twice the density of normal rocks. And so God allowed that battle to take place in that specific region of Israel, and he supplied David with barium sulfate rocks that were twice the density of a normal rock. So he just, not only did he prepare him for years as an expert marksman, but he gave him better ammunition so that when he hit, da- when he hit Goliath in the face, that dude was going down.
1: If our God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, throw it out there. Anyways, guys, get out there. If you haven't read the Bible before, shout out in John. Shout out to us if you have questions about it. As you can see, everything we're talking about today is because we've been reading the Bible for a while and because we've been falling more and deeply in love with God. And that's why we're here is because we just want to share him with you. So, hasta pronto, everybody.
0: Absolutely. Have a great week.
1: Ciao.
2: Thank you for tuning into this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight@outlook.com. at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.